Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Revelation 3, 7 through 13. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Revelation in your Bible. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never, you will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Well, thank you, Sam. That's the word of the Lord for us today. Um, I have been, I've been waiting for this Sunday for a long time. Hopefully that God doesn't strike me down for wearing... Uh, See, Bill, Phillies. Yeah. We're going we're gonna to put that there, and we're going to pretend, well, we're going to hope that it, it doesn't fall over. Um, yeah, so the church in Philadelphia, Philadelphia context, I'm from eastern Pennsylvania, uh, about an hour and a half, maybe two hours outside of Philly. We'll just say that. And apparently, for all of my adult life, I have pronounced the name of the city of whose baseball team I love incorrectly. I make it Philadelphia instead of Fia, and my wife corrects me every single time. So we're just going to talk about the church in Philly this, uh, this morning, okay? Is that okay? All right. Well, I, I, uh, I grew up with kind of an active imagination. Um, it, it didn't help me in school at all uh, because I was always like somewhere else. Uh, anybody else ever go through school? Okay, good. Um, one of the things that I, that I love to do is my, my grandmother had um, this house, small house, and we actually lived there for one summer, but it, it had a big, big yard, big backyard. Um, most of it was just kind of a flat field with a, with a permanent burn pile in it that I, I don't ever remember her actually ever burning. Um, it just grew every year. Uh, we, we'd cut things down and pile on top of it, and by the time she passed away, I'm sure that the, the pile was, I don't know, 30 feet in, uh, in what's this, with, that, that's diameter, yeah, not circumference, uh, and maybe as tall with just dead brush. And uh, I don't know why she ever, didn't ever burn it, probably because um, she might have caught the neighborhood on fire. But uh, I, my job sometimes when I was there was to mow her lawn. And she had a really, really old lawn tractor. Uh, I don't know what year it was, but it, it might have, I don't even want to venture a guess. Uh, it probably wasn't safe. It didn't have any of the safety features 
like that they have today, like when you get off the seat and it stops running, you could set this thing to go and just, and just watch it go if you wanted to. It would, it would run and the blade would keep going. And, and I, I don't know, I started mowing her lawn probably when I was eight. I, I don't know how I had any business to be on this, on this thing, but I did. I loved it. It had, uh, the, the throttle was this little slide lever. You, you pinched it and then you could just push it. And you didn't have to like, you didn't have to stop before you went into reverse. And, uh, <laughs> or maybe at one point you had to and, and now you don't. I don't know. I don't know what happened to that thing. It's probably in a, a junk car. But she would have this big, big yard and it was square except for the giant brush pile. And I would, I would get that thing going as fast as I could and pretend that I was a race car driver. You know, like I was a, I was a Formula One driver and I didn't even know what that was because we didn't watch those kinds of things. And, but I knew that I could go fast and, and the only thing that, that was bad was that the turning radius on it was awful. So you, I had to go like out and around to come back and you could get the other side, kind of go in a big square. And, and then eventually like it got knobby and it just, it descended into chaos um, out there. But imaginations are, are wonderful things, right? They, they, they allow us to see the world in a different way, to see things that aren't there. I could, I could conjure up a racetrack in my grandmother's backyard uh, because of my imagination. Um, I could make the little matchbox cars that I had, of which I still have quite a bit, um, somewhere in a box that I'll never open and will never let Lori throw away. Um, I can make those things, uh, you know, race and, and all those kinds of things. And it didn't even stop me from, from, from imagining things when I, was, when I was forced to play with Barbies with my sisters. Anybody else's sisters forced? To? Thank you, I see that hand. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, yeah. Anyway, enough about my imagination. Uh, one of the things, though, that I, that I think kills our imagination is fear. Um, it, it has a way to like make you curl up and get defensive and, and shutter off all of the, the things because I, I, think, I think that fear is kind of like a, it's kind of like a fog. You ever been in a real, real dense fog where you, you can't see really anything and maybe if you can see things, they're, they're just outlines and shadows and, and, and it does weird things to sound. It's where you, you don't even know what direction a sound might be coming from and it's just really easy to get lost and disoriented. And so all you can see is kind of like what is just like re directly in front of you. And that doesn't help you navigate wherever you might be. Uh, for whatever reason, my mental image of fog is always me in a in, a, in like a forest somewhere. I think it's probably more influenced by Stranger Things than, uh, than anything else, but that's kind of where I see f uh, a fog. So if you're in a if forest and you're with a fog, like you're gonna, you're gonna get lost and you get to run into things and it's just not gonna be good. One of the things that uh, we're gonna say about the church in uh, Philly is that what pervaded them well, at least what was around them was a spirit of fear. Um, but, and, and this is where we'll go, but they didn't give into it. I, I wonder if the church today is also surrounded by a spirit of fear. 
Uh, it, not, not maybe when we gather together, but in, in the world around us, we, well, we're told to be afraid of just about everything. We're, we're told to be afraid of the other political party because they're going to take away all of our things. doesn't matter which side you're on. They both do it. Uh, we're, we're told you need to be afraid of, um, of burglars, and so you've got to have a nice alarm or whatever. Or, uh, we're told to be afraid of heart disease. I guess that's, that's legitimate, I think. Uh, but all of, all, of the, uh, all of the talking that seems to be on the television and on radio is, is meant, I think, to make us afraid. And when we get afraid, we, we're in a fog and we can only see what's directly in front of us and, and then we can't see what God is calling us to do. We, we can't find the beginning of the path even that we might need to walk on to get to wherever God is going to us because we are afraid. I wonder, I wonder if our situation is a lot like the church in Phillies we are surrounded by a world that is threatening to do us harm. Now, as we've gone through the uh, last couple of churches, uh, I've, at the risk of repeating myself, which is my fear of doing all seven churches anyway, uh, we've got to remember that the, the place that they inhabit is the Roman Empire. And it is a religiously pluralistic area. There are gods that abound. Uh, gods for this and gods for that, and, and the emperor even gets worshipped as a god. And so uh, there's these trade guilds that you could be involved in. And they involved with uh, worship to, to gods. And so, like, it was just everywhere. Uh, there was fear because if you, if you decided that you were not going to follow and worship this god, if you were going to not worship the emperor as uh, Zeus incarnate or whatever. It carried some serious repercussions for you socially, financially, uh, politically. Could reduce you to almost, almost nothing. Uh, not only that, but they, they all seemed to have an issue with, uh, with Jews that didn't like what the Christians were doing. Uh, not only had they faced persecution from Rome, but from from people who claim they followed God, the same God that they were worshiping. So they had trouble and fear on all fronts. Well, um, the letter starts, and uh, uh, we'll see that the church in Philly does not succumb to this spirit of fear. It's all good. The letter to them is all good. He starts off, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one's will open. Now, there's just a couple of things that I think help make this a little bit more, uh, well, I'll tie it all together at the end. So just, just be patient with me. Uh, this is actually a reference to Isaiah, and um, there was a, a, a servant of King David's, uh, Elakim, I believe that's how, uh, his name, and David gave him the, the keys to um, the, 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 the pass, not wherever he was, the city. 
Uh, what those keys represented was uh, the authority to grant access to the presence of the king. And so this guy that David trusted, he, he had the ability to say, no, you may not go into the king. Yes, you can go into the king. No, you may not. All those things. And, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an access thing. And, and Jesus is of the line of David. And, and so I think he uses this introduction, this quotation from Isaiah, because he's saying, he's saying, I am, I am, I am the, the key. I am the one that, that grants you access to the kingdom of God. I will open that door for you and it will never shut. It will never ever keep you out. Uh, this is partly because they have been faithful. This is partly a, a reward for them not succumbing to the spirit of fear around them. He goes on to say, I know your work works. Looks, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you've, you have but little power and that you have kept your word and have not denied my name. I think that the phrase here, and yet you have, well, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Uh, we contrast this to a couple of the other churches that Jesus writes to, and, and we had a good discussion about this in, in the little part of the Bible study I was at, that uh, one, one of the places they had, you know, eye medicine, and they could make really great clothing, and uh, they had money and all these things, and, and yet Jesus says, I know you are wealthy, but you are poor. I know you are uh, you have all these clothes, but you are naked. I know that you have this eye medicine, but you are blind. They had placed their trust in all of these things, and so they, they, they didn't really have what, what the true treasure was, was the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying to the church in Philly, I know you are little. I know you are tiny and insignificant. I know that you are frail. I know that you don't have much and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. It would have been very easy, I think, in their situation because of their insignificance to try to clamor after all kinds of, uh, of power, to try to, to raise themselves up from a place of poverty or insignificance to, to grasp political control or financial control. And in doing so, kind of give up all of the things well, that Jesus taught them to love others and do good to your enemy and pray for those who curse you. It goes on a little bit more. I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but are lying. I will make them come down and bow before your feet and they will, return, they will learn that I have loved you. Um, and we've talked about this before. Uh, the Jews of the area were working against uh, the Christians. And, and in a lot of places, like you were safe. Uh, if you were a Christian, uh, you were safe unless somebody turned you in. And I remember we talked about one church where it, it seemed like the, the Jews of that town were engaging in an intentional kind of uh, attack against the Christians, that they were turning in Christians to the empire to be, to be tortured or even killed if they didn't recant what they believed. Uh, he calls them the synagogue of Satan, which is a phrase we've encountered before. And uh, 
I don't think Jesus is saying that these Jews worship the devil. Um, Satan, the, the literal translation, is the one who is against or the adversary. Uh, so literally speaking, Jesus is saying these Jews who should know better, who I have called, who have called their, their people, uh, they are actually working against the kingdom of God. And so are eh, satanic, even though they're not you know, like what we might think. Um, Jesus is, is trying to encourage them. He's saying, one day you will know. You will know that I love you. The world will know that I love you, along with the Jewish people in their obstinate stubbornness. Someday you will know fully if you continue to be faithful, if you continue to see past the spirit of fear, if you continue to trust and place your entire self in my hands. Skip down a little farther, verse 12. Uh, If you conquer, so if you continue to do all the things you've already done, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and you will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. Uh, A couple of uh, important cultural things here. Uh, The city of Philly um, had the practice of putting up columns or pillars in the temples that were around. Uh, And then they would inscribe the name of an important citizen after they had died on that pillar. And so it would be a, a monument to that person who was, you know, a, a great citizen, someone who uh, did wonderful things for the city or, or you know, gave his life for, for others or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but it was a testament. It was saying, look, this person was so faithful and so committed that we're going to memorialize them for all of time. So Jesus is saying, when you continue to be faithful... I'll make you a pillar. Regardless of whatever happens, your name will be written down and everybody who comes and sees it will know that you have been a faithful follower. A second uh, important thing. Uh, You will never go out of it. Well, okay. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God and you will never go out of it. I will write on you the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Uh, the city was, was located in a heavy volcanic area. And so it, it produced a lot of earthquakes. And at one point, the city was uh, mostly destroyed by a, an earthquake. And the people ran out, and, and they eventually came back. But uh, they got help from the Roman Empire to rebuild their city. And so they renamed the city Neo-Caesarea, which is uh, kind of new Caesar. And they were naming it after the emperor who had given them the financial means to, to raise their, their, uh, their town from the ashes. Uh, with, that, with that name, and names are really, really important in the Bible, with that name, it, it signifies kind of ownership, right? It signifies that the city of Philly is not, has entered into a special covenant with the Roman Empire by changing its name in thankfulness for what the empire has done for them. I think the, the, the people in Philly would have seen this. They would have heard this and say, this is Jesus making a counterclaim on Rome's claim on our city. 
that is not the Roman Empire. It's not the emperor who is completely in charge. It's not the, the empire who rebuilds people. A little, little echo. That was fun. Oh, but it's me. You have been little and insignificant, yet you have remained faithful. Now, we don't know what this cost the Christians in Philly. Uh, we don't know if they had lost lots of friends to persecution uh, from the Roman Empire or from the Jews. I, if I had to imagine, I think it would have. But I think what the, the struggles and the trials that they underwent didn't, well, didn't make them afraid. But rather, it provided an opportunity for God to build their imagination. Uh, for them to be able to, to continue to, to hope and rest and trust that God, the God who created everything, has truly written their names down, who will be truly faithful to the end, even if it means death. I think it's really easy fearful situations to let all of that go I think if it was me and who knows and I was in that situation I, I would want to do everything that I could to keep from succumbing to this persecution I might just pick up the sword and fight back I might struggle to get laws changed so that we won't be illegal I don't know, I might fight and die for the faith, but not in the way that Jesus has called us to fight and die. Our imagination, our way we think the world works, is one way. And Christ is wanting to change our imagination, to reshape it, so that we might be, well, maybe little and of no account and yet faithful. I think, um, well, I think, I think a couple of things are important here and, and how this works for us. I think so much of the Christian life is about witness. It is us witnessing to the faithfulness of God. Um, that's why we have the Bible, right? It is the story from start to finish of God's faithfulness to creation, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to all of the horrible kings, the disciples, to Jesus Paul and Peter and Silas and a whole host of other unnamed folks who went around in the first century AD and gave their lives for the sake of Christ. Not scratching and clawing, but having their imaginations and their minds expanded to see a reality, something different from the violence and chaos of our world. See, hope 
and peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness. Self-control, did I leave one out? What's that? Goodness? Yeah, it's in there. These are the things to which we have been called. We give faithful witness to the faithfulness of God. There's a second kind of witness. There's the witness that we see in others who have been faithful in the midst of trial and hardship and heartache and yet have continued to be faithful to Christ. We see those people and we see if that person can go through what they went through and remained faithful. If God could say of them, I know that you are little and insignificant and no account, but you have not forgotten my word and you've kept my name. And just maybe as we look at those folks, we might be able to say, ah, if they can do it, if, if the power of God's spirit can work in them, to help them to be faithful, if the power of the Spirit can, can help shape their imagination to see the way God wants it to be, then just maybe God can do that work in me as well. What happens when we are not faithful is that the world around us fails to see the faithfulness of God. When we do Christianity badly, we are unable to have people look at us and say, if that is the power of God, I really don't want it. I, I think, well, I, well I, I know. I don't want to be afraid. In fact, I'm, I, I used to be. Just scared out of my mind of everything. I, I don't want to be afraid as a Christian. I don't want to live in fear that someone's going to take my right to do whatever away. I, I don't want to be afraid that of being small and insignificant. I, I want to hold fast to the hope and faithfulness of God that says, ah, you, you may not be the best, but you've been faithful. Good job. But by the way, I think because it's Father's Day, and I prayed this, I think, uh, fathers, don't be afraid of raising your children to follow after Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid of teaching them how to love lessly. Uh, of teaching them how to have faith in Christ, in, in teaching them how to be kind and compassionate, in teaching them how to be generous. That's my little sermon to me and to you fathers. But I think that this is the same thing that God wants for us as a church. Uh, to open our eyes 
our imagination. To do away with the cloud and the fog of fear that everybody is telling us to, is there. To cast off what the Republicans are saying or the Democrats. Uh, to maybe tune out cable news or talk radio and say, yes, I name the, the fact that the, that the world is messed up. And there are a lot of people doing bad things, and I don't want us not to be involved in fixing those bad things. But when we let the fear drive us, here's, I'm convinced, 100%, that if we let fear drive us in our faith, if we let fear drive us in our church, we will die. If, however, if we do like the church in Philly and say, we are small and insignificant, we need you, reshape our imagination. I think we have a really good chance of living because then we can witness to the faithfulness of God. Then we can, we can be people who people look at and say, they went through some pretty crazy stuff and yet, and yet they're still loving. They're not angry. Does this all make sense? I think, I think it's why I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic about us, about you all. I'm optimistic because, well, because I'm not afraid. And I don't want you to be afraid either because I believe with everything that's in me that we can be all that God has called us to be. We can learn to love God and our neighbor as ourselves to the fullest extent. And Jesus will say, well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.